0: I'm Laura Wenis, and this is 5th Admission. Queer students are returning to classrooms at a time of widespread attacks on LGBTQ rights, many of them focused on schools. It's a nationwide issue, and California is no exception. Communities across the state have seen pressure campaigns to suppress discussion and media about gender and sexuality in school. One Santa Rosa district rejected requests from students to fly a pride flag at a school. San Francisco schools have made a deliberate effort to do the opposite. The district has been focused on promoting inclusion long before the question of LGBT themes in schools most recently became a political flashpoint. It's offering educators specific training on how to sensitively handle conversations about gender, health, and identity with their students. Here to talk about these contrasting approaches are education reporter Jill Tucker and Erin Alday, who covers gender and sexuality for The Chronicle. Erin, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And Jill, thanks for talking with me again. I'm so happy to be here. So this is actually a really difficult time for LGBTQ kids, especially for trans kids. There's so much anti-trans rhetoric and legislation circulating. Erin, you talked to someone from the ACLU for your recent story who said things have really intensified lately. Can you start by giving us a sense of the atmosphere that kids are going to school in right now nationally?
1: There's just been a lot going on nationally with kind of this anti-trans rhetoric. There's a lot of attacks on LGBTQ, especially trans rights. As it pertains to access to health care, gender affirming care, states just flat out banning it for certain kids to not even be allowed to have access to that care. That hasn't happened in California, but it all trickles down. There's just these sentiments that are kind of built into our political system and and built into our cultural climate right now. And even though California, and as this, this person from the ACLU pointed out, is still very progressive, has a lot of protections kind of built into policies, education policies we're not protected not immune from what's happening nationally and so what we're seeing is a lot of these policies directed against kind of lgbtq students are just kind of taking place they're they're being introduced in school districts all over the state
0: california has a reputation for being inclusive for all genders and sexualities and generally for being progressive but it's a big state, and not every person and institution shares those values. In your story, Aaron, you showed how we actually don't have to look very far to find hostility toward LGBTQ
1: students. Give
0: us a sense of the range of attitudes and policies that you encountered in California schools.
1: Yeah, I was kind of surprised at what kinds of policies are are cropping up. I don't think there's a single part of the state that's really kind of immune from what's happening. There's policies that are very clearly kind of anti-LGBTQ from book bans. There was a school district in Southern California that ruled out some history textbooks and curriculum because it referenced Harvey Milk. And people had a problem with that. So, I mean, that's just sort of blatant trying to erase or just sort of not allow these conversations to happen. But then, you know, we have school districts in the Bay Area that have voted to not allow campuses to fly the pride flag, the rainbow pride flag. And, you know, they'll give all kinds of reasons. But at the end of the day, you could say that that feels like an attack. That feels like they're unsupported when their school won't even kind of fly the flag over the campus. One of the really big topics now, and this is mostly in Southern California, is this parental notification. So there's school districts now that have introduced policy that requires parents be notified if kids are out as transgender. So if they want to use different pronouns, if they want to use a different name at school, they're requiring teachers or somebody at the school to notify the parents if that's the case. California generally is strongly encourages that kids not be outed to their parents if they request not to be. So that sort of is a debate that's raging right now at this moment.
0: And we will come back to that in a bit more detail. But In contrast to that, San Francisco's school district is doubling down on training and offering resources to support kids and to help teachers do their best to be inclusive. Jill, you attended one of those trainings recently. Who was being trained and what were they learning in this session?
2: Yeah, so it was a training a couple days before school started this year with the district's health teachers, mostly high school teachers that teach health topics. So that's going to include sex ed. It's going to include, you know, all sorts of things like Drugs and drinking and dating and, and all of those things that you would get in health class. But this training really was focused on addressing the needs of LGBTQ students and specifically issues related to gender identity, so trans, non-binary, and then a, a broader spectrum of that, and working with the teachers to better understand what that means for students, the range of identities that are out there, and, and specifically looking at how they use gender words, how to support students in the classroom who come out, and they often come out to health teachers. So what are the things that they can say to students who come out? What types of support can they give in those environments? Really trying to help them work with their caregivers if they think they can come out or they want to come out. So it was a range of topics, but really when being in that room where they're literally passing out pride flags for teachers to bring back to their classrooms and hang in the classroom and, and really talking about the, the range of pronouns. You get the sense, like, this is definitely not Florida. You know, this is definitely not Texas. They are all in on supporting students across the rainbow. Why is the school district arranging
0: for this kind of training? What signs are they seeing that this is needed? And what are they hoping to accomplish
2: by being so overtly not Florida? Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. One thing that I didn't know that I learned in that training is that the LGBTQ support position at the district level started 30 years ago, and it was based on concerns of suicidality of gay and lesbian and bisexual students. So 30 years ago, they were looking at supporting these students recognizing the statistics associated with them in terms of depression, suicide, other types of behavior. And that has carried forward over these last three decades and only expanded. And they still cite the statistics. They cite the attempted suicide statistics of these young people and the need for them to have those supports because if they don't feel safe, they can't learn you know, they talked about, like, this isn't a political issue, that you can have different values, and and many teachers do in San Francisco and elsewhere. But the one value they share is that no one likes dead kids. That's where all of this is coming from in San Francisco.
0: Aaron, on the other end of the spectrum, it's mostly parent groups that are pushing for policies that censor certain books or topics from schools or ban certain kinds of expressions and symbols, as you already brought up. Why... Why do these parent groups say that they're demanding those restrictions? What's the reasoning behind this?
1: Well, the parent group, I mean, it's sort of interesting what's happening in school boards because this is something that's been happening nationally where there's sort of this conservative movement to kind of go after school boards because it's kind of an easy entry point. It's sort of an easy entry point into politics. So it's sort of activating next generation politicians, especially in California. I think that's seen as an entry point.
0: And this is a flashpoint, so they can get attention. Exactly. for advancing these ideas. Got it.
1: Yes, that's exactly. So I think that certainly is part of it. A lot of the parents that I spoke to who who are sort of introducing these policies say that they kind of got interested during COVID. So things were so handled so poorly during COVID, and they were so worried about their kids not being in school. That's what kind of got them very involved in what was happening in their schools and got them involved in going to school boards. But it's clear that this is something that is happening kind of, again, nationally. And, you know, there's certain talking points. So these things kind of aren't really happening necessarily organically. You know, in in parts of the state, it's part of sort of a bigger movement that I think what we're seeing. But, you know, I mean, in fairness, there's a lot changing now in how we kind of talk about gender and sexuality. I think it's it can feel overwhelming. I think some parents are just having a hard time keeping up and they just feel they feel concerned. they feel scared, and this is sort of how how some folks respond. So I think that is certainly, some of what we're seeing, and that's some of where the traction is coming from, especially. But I think a lot of this really we have to acknowledge is being fed by kind of this this natural culture war. I'm interested in the logic. One particularly
0: controversial policy that you've already brought up is there's schools that have adopted this proposal that they'll they'll notify a student's parents if the student starts using a name or pronouns that are different from what their parents use. Chino Valley Unified has a policy like that and at least one other district has introduced something similar. What's the reasoning here? What do
1: they say is logic? Well, the the logic is they feel like parents should be included in that dialogue. I think that that sort of is a reasonable point, you know, if your kid is going through some stuff and is out at school and is known by their their classmates and their teachers, you know, by a different name, by different pronouns. I mean, it's understandable that parents would want to know that. I think, you know, what is taken into account is, you know, these are kids that often just don't feel comfortable being after their parents for any number of reasons. It may be a very serious safety issue. There are some kids who are very unsafe and coming after their parents. Sometimes though it's just that they know it's gonna be difficult, that these are hard conversations to have. And the schools will say, Well, we wanna create a safe space for kids to figure this stuff out and to kind of have a place where they can be themselves and they can be comfortable in their own body. And we're not gonna force these sort of difficult, challenging family conversations on them. But these parents will say, we're the parent, you know, we should be part of this dialogue. That's a lot of the, the, the push and pull that you're seeing from these parents. And they will they will argue you know, that the policies that they they want to put in place are actually helping these kids because they're sort of creating a sort of bridge. They're creating, you know, stronger bonds with the family and sort of forcing kind of these these exchanges to take place that are healthy for the kids in the long run. That's, you know, problematic for ways we've talked about, but that's that's what they'll say.
0: Let's compare that with San Francisco's approach again. Jill, what is SFUSD's policy on bringing parents into conversations about their child's transition?
2: Yeah, San Francisco respects the privacy of the student. They will not out the students to the parents, but they do emphasize that they think it's incredibly important for caregivers to be part of that conversation if possible. And they will work with the students with counselors, with others, whoever they feel comfortable talking to, to figure out a way if they can to come out to the caregivers and practice those conversations or they give them advice on, for example, you know, going to the parents and say, hey, I had a friend come out as transgender. What do you think? And really kind of testing the waters, as they said in the training, you know, of how these students can navigate that situation safely so that the caregivers can be involved. They want caregivers and parents to be active in their child's education and in their child's life, but they want it to be safe and they want to respect the privacy of, of the young people.
0: At least one parent has found SFUSD's approach helpful and straightforward. We'll hear about that and talk about how school districts are grappling with animosity and sometimes threats of violence after a quick break.
2: You're listening to 5th and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app.
0: Jill Tucker, we were just talking about San Francisco's policy of generally respecting students' privacy if they don't want to come out to their parents While at the same time encouraging students to bring their parents into that dialogue, you talked to a parent whose transgender son did bring her into the conversation, but who found herself a little overwhelmed by the prospect of navigating school bureaucracy to make sure he'd be enrolled correctly. Tell us about Carrie and Rowan and their experience with Rowan starting high school.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, as opposed to a lot of other places, you know, San Francisco has worked hard on figuring out how to support students and their families, you know, when they come out. And, and I think it was one of those things where they were really worried about, okay, how do we do this? And parents are overwhelmed. All of a sudden, the daughter that they had is no longer a daughter and is a son, and now they have to go to the school district. Carrie went to the school district, called the wellness center, thinking, okay, this is gonna be a monumental bureaucratic challenge. And they said, Nope, it's one form, fill it out, and then that's it. And did that work? I mean, did Rowan go to high school and his teachers were calling him by Rowan and with Yes. Yeah. His- it was a very simple process. I think what Carrie said was that it was you know even as a parent grappling with the process you know themselves in the family having the school district just kind of shrug and go that's no big deal really made it easier on her to process what she needed to go through and and all of those types of things it is the type of environment in general, not to say that San Francisco or any any district is perfect at at working with families or creating a bureaucracy that is easy to manage, but a lot of the parents that I talked to, a lot of the students that I talked to said in general that that the district and the city are incredibly supportive, that despite issues like maybe not enough all gender bathrooms or or you know issues navigating physical education or, or these types of things. You know, those are more logistical challenges, but not political challenges. One of the reasons, Erin,
0: that a Chino Valley school board member gave you for removing LGBTQ references from curricula or banning some books is that she said this just forces schools to focus on traditional academics. You brought that argument to someone with a Santa Rosa LGBTQ center called Positive Image. What did that person
1: say about this thinking? Well, I mean the this person said it but other people have said it too, which is I mean obviously the LGBTQ experience is central to, you know, all of all of academics, right? It should be kind of incorporated to to everything that we teach, but incorporating kind of these conversations into academics, this is, you know, this is how you create safe spaces. This is how you create a learning environment for all kids. And it's not just LGBTQ kids, but all kids that is, you know, where they feel supported, they feel seen. And that that just it's part of, you know, the human condition and, and belongs in there for that reason. And how do these kinds of exclusions affect students? Well, they notice it. Especially with these middle school kids and high school kids, you know, they're very aware of what's happening in the culture wars and the national conversation. So they hear that and it filters down. And so even if your school is supportive, even if your teacher is supportive, and that's one thing that came up with the school district in Sonoma County where, you know, they refused to fly the flags over the campuses. But the district said, well, we're encouraging teachers to put the flags in the classrooms. And, you know, we want, you know, to create that that space. But, you know, the kids will say just – they know that their request to fly a flag over the campus was rejected. And they know that these policies are being introduced in other parts of the state. They feel that there are people that want to erase them. And so having, you know, these things kind of embedded really firmly kind of in the curriculum, you know, having it be kind of legislation, policies that are really in place to protect them, they they notice that and that that matters. Sorry, why? Is a school district that rejected the request to fly a pride flag over the school, also encouraging teachers to put them in their classrooms? So that's I mean, that's it's interesting. And I could there's a lot of speculation around that. I can tell you but the official statement is that the flagpole. So the flagpole that is in front of the campus is only for the American flag and the state flag. And that anything, you know, if it, that there's no precedent for flying anything else, you know, what they'll say is if they open the door to the rainbow flag, the next thing you know, they'll be fly flags for certain religions or for, you know, all, all kinds of flag. Ex- right. <laughs> I've actually had people reach out to me since the story ran pointing out that apparently there is an Earth Day flag that's flying on the flagpole right now. So
0: in that same county, in that
1: same county. So, yeah. So it's not, you know, it's it's this is what their statement is, but it's very clear. And in that case, you know, this was something that came up before the school board twice. They were worried that if they approved this, that there would be people who would be unhappy like they clearly were uncomfortable with the idea of having that flag flying over these campuses and that was why they turned it down but at the same time they know their community they know that they can't just do a blanket you know rejections but that's again that's where this gets complicated and that's where you'll see there's it's a lot of times it's not like a like in your face hate kind of thing it's it's more subtle than that but these kids notice it they they definitely they're pretty savvy. They grappled with that
2: in San Francisco, too, at one of the elementary schools where and, – and the principal did say, like, the the flagpole only has room for two flags. She is very supportive and wants to fly the pride flag. But she did say in June, which is Pride Month, that, you know, the, the pride flag has flown. And so, you know, I guess the state flag goes down and the pride flag goes up. So even in San Francisco, there was some sort of, like, we only have room for two flags. What do we do? And, you know, but – they found a way.
0: What do you both think about school boards and, and institutions' hesitation to put up symbols like the pride flag out of fear of backlash? What does that say about the an institution's willingness to tolerate or or respond to backlash in that way, especially given the context of didn't we recently see a business owner get killed for flying a pride flag? I mean, there is the possibility of violence on the table at the same time it sends a message to students, you know, we don't want to deal with backlash over this thing.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think like you, there there was recently just down in Southern California, a business owner was killed and it looks like it was it was potentially a hate crime and it was over this this pride flag. Now, say in a school setting, it's you would argue that po- putting the flag up is protective, that it actually is the opposite. You know, a school isn't going to be targeted because it has a pride flag up. I had one kid tell me that seeing the flag, knowing that the flag is flying over the campus, would potentially discourage bullying like it and and harassment. So I think that that is a thinking in a in a school that it's not going to make a school target that it's going to have the opposite effect. But that is certainly on people's minds. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, San Ramon Valley, they had a school board meeting that was just about acknowledging Pride Month. And it turned into this hours long, very intense debate, you know, where they had people come out and, and the school board voted to approve it. And so that is certainly on their minds, you know, that if they sort of put a flag out there if they if they show some very obvious support of this community that that could make a school or could make a school board school board members that that could make them targets and I think that that is certainly on their mind I suspect it's more in the making them political targets than than targets of violence that is on most school board people's minds but the violence you know no joke I mean it's definitely something that's happening out there
2: yeah, and I think, you know, the reality is schools are and school districts are microcosms of society. And there are a lot of different opinions out there as we see across the country when it comes to LGBTQ rights, gay rights, all of the transgender rights. What we're seeing in in the school districts is is something that's always been there. It's a battle over parental rights, over what is taught, how it's taught you know, huge battles in San Francisco over math right now, right? So and, and what parents want for their kids versus a school district and elected officials looking at the bigger picture and the people elected oftentimes reflect much of the community, but not all of it. So you see places where there are conservative, very conservative school board members getting elected, basically having the support of national organizations and other things to get elected to school boards to pass these policies, to be that voice for, quote unquote, parental rights, that they don't want their child exposed to health lessons on transgender pronouns or any of those types of things. I mean, I've been covering this a long time, and I remember – you know many many years ago parental rights about abstinence only education and not wanting their kids to hear lessons on birth control and and as i said when you look at schools they're a microcosm of what's around them so when you have conservative politics or religious issues coming into play or or any of these types of things it's going to it's going to show up in the schools and it's definitely really showing up now in schools across the region, across the state, and across the country.
0: Aaron and Jill, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Aaron Allday covers gender and sexuality, and Jill Tucker covers education. Find their stories at sfchronicle.com. Thanks to Cecilia Lay for production help on this episode, Gary Baca for mixing the audio, and thanks to you for listening.